0: Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneer Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg
1: Today's class is being sponsored in honor and loving memory of Esther Batzaisa May the soul rest in peace. And in honor of Maurice Ben-Rachel, may he live a happy life, a long life. We're discussing the purpose of creation, why God created the world. It's a question that has mystified philosophers, why God has created the world. And the Medrash says the reason why God created the world is because he desires... To have a dwelling place in this world. To have a home, in the lowest of all the worlds. And now the asked, what do you mean that God desired to have a dwelling place in the lowest of all the worlds? To God, there's no higher, there's no lower. There's no past, there's no present, there's no future. God transcends time, He transcends space. There's no higher, there's no lower. The higher is just as remote from Him as the lower totally transcends a whole... There's no dimension to God. So what do you mean God desired to have a dwelling place for Him lower? What's the difference to Him between lower and higher? So He explained that what the medrash means by lower, it refers to our world. And that our world is the lowest of all the worlds. And what makes our world unique in relation to all the other worlds, is that all the other worlds reveal. Reveal a certain potential, reveal a certain level of godliness. So it's all about revelation. Our world is unique in that it conceals. The material, tangible world that we live in is dense. It's opaque. It conceals. It blocks. It doesn't allow us to see godliness. You can go through, people go through their entire lives and they don't even sense, don't even think about godliness. This world doesn't point its finger. You look at a tree, a beautiful tree, a beautiful nature, it doesn't shout out that there's a god, there's a creator. So, not only doesn't this world reveal or point its finger to God, but actually it's completely concealed. You would never even notice. Just like the material is something that doesn't exist in its source. There's no materialism in its source. Material is the ultimate novelty. A world that denies God, a world that, that's completely dense and doesn't reveal anything, is a novelty. It doesn't exist in, in its source because all the spiritual realms do reveal godliness. This material world is unique. In that sense, it's in it's the lowest of all the low. In the sense that it's a novel type of world, a world that doesn't exist in its source. A world that completely covers up on And aggressively covers up on Not only hides and conceals, but actively, aggressively covers up and distorts. Godliness. A world which every point of this world is filled with klipa, with ego, with arrogance, with lies, deception. Folly. Darkness. That such a world... Could exist is a novelty, and this is the ultimate expression of God's essence. Because only God can create such a world—a world that denies its own source. Only God can create such a world. It's the ultimate creative act of God to 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 create a world that denies its own source. It's mind-boggling. It's it's astonishing. This is the ultimate expression of God's essence. Only God has the power to create this type of world. It's a novelty. It engages God. And what's the point and the purpose? Also to create a novelty. When we take this darkness and we transform this darkness into light, revealing Godliness in this world through our actions, through engaging our body, engaging our egos, engaging as we go about our daily lives to connect every aspect of our life with Godliness. This creates something novel. This draws down God's essence into this world which is what a home is all about. What is a home? A home is not where you project yourself. The moment you close the door and you leave the home, that's when you project. Everyone role plays. You're a teacher, you're a principal, you're a lawyer, you're a doctor, you're a millionaire. Whatever, you're, and in life you can go through many roles, but it's all a projection. It's not, it's not you. Where do you let your hair down? Where do you feel comfortable? in your own skinny, you're not projecting. You are yourself. We as a person, not only naked in the physical sense, but also naked in the sense you're not projecting. You are yourself. You're not role-playing. Not in relation to the world outside of you, to anyone outside of you. Social world. You yourself. You're just being yourself. That's what a home is about. It's my home. This is where I am. This is, I feel at home. So where does God feel at home? Where is God's essence? The heaven and the heavens of heavens are just merely God's projection. Is infinite light. It's projection, projection. Spirituality, intense spirituality, deeper levels of spirituality, more genuine levels of spirituality. But it's all projection. But where is God's essence? Where does God feel at home? Ironically and paradoxically, it's only in this coarse, dark, physical world. Because when a Jew studies Torah and does mitzvot in this world, it's not only you're revealing a light Just like there's a light in the heavens, you're also revealing a light into this world. The light that you reveal in this world is much greater than the light that's even in the highest worlds. Because you're revealing God's essence, not just a projection. And in heaven, and the heaven of heavens, the light is concealed. The light can't reveal itself directly. It has to come about, it has to be screened, somewhat. Somewhat. The highest world it's screened, it's minimally screened. But there has to be some screen. The highest realm can't receive godliness directly. But in this world, God's essence is revealed without any screening, just like in your home. In your home, a person is naked. The person, there's no screening, there's no clothes. Not just also physically, but also in a much deeper sense. There's no armor, there's no clothes. You are yourself. You let your hair relax, you let your hair down, you relax, you are yourself. So God's essence is revealed without any screening. So the light that's revealed through the darkness, as King Solomon says, the superiority of light that comes from from darkness, we're in the middle of chapter 36, page 474. It's not just that we appreciate the light when it comes from the darkness. When there is no darkness, you don't appreciate the light. If all there was was goodness and light and spirituality and kindness and selflessness and, and morality and genuineness, then you wouldn't appreciate the light. So now that you have darkness, that you have light and you have dark and you have good and you have evil, and you have spiritual, you have material, oh, now, by way of contrast, now I have a reference point, now I have a way of appreciating the light. So it would seem that the darkness is just the backdrop, the prop to appreciate the highlight and emphasize the light, the spirituality. That would be true if the purpose of creation was spirituality. Then the material was just a backdrop in order for us to appreciate the light, to appreciate it more. But it's much deeper than that. What King Solomon is saying is that the light that comes from darkness is a deeper light. It's a novelty within the light. It's a new level within the light that the light on its own can never, can never achieve. It's not just revealing Something revealing a potential. But it's a new light. When the darkness itself transforms into light, it's a different level of light. And therefore the purpose is the darkness. The purpose is not the light. On the contrary, the purpose of the light is all in order. The purpose of spirituality and the purpose of all the higher realms is only for us to get to this world. It's a preparation for this world. For this materialistic, coarse, dark world. And within this world, the lowest part of the world. Within the person, the lowest part of the person. Your actions. Within the person, the lowest soul, the natural soul, the ego soul. Your ego drive must be engaged, must be involved. Therefore, all of the mitzvah to affect and engage your body, your material, your physical, the deed, the action. And this is the ultimate purpose. And when you take this darkness and you do a mitzvah with it. When you take this ego energy, this natural energy, this natural drive and you do a mitzvah with it. That is the ultimate purpose of creation. You're transforming the darkness into light. You reveal a new light. A light that doesn't exist in the heavens. A qualitatively different type of light. The darkness itself turns into light. And the light shines without any screening. The essence of God is revealed. God feels at home in this world. So God invested his essence. Where did God invest his essence? Not in the soul world. In this world, the human world. And that's why the soul comes into the body and we have to have human experiences. Because only when we have human experiences that we can actually touch the essence of God. And by doing Torah mitzvot, we make, we fulfill God's desire and pleasure. And we create the ultimate novelty to take something material and to take something that's dense to take the lowest of all the worlds a world which is the antithesis of God and to create a novelty this is not about religion this is not about spirituality religion and spirituality is revealing something that's there it's becoming sensitive to a truth that's there you just have to uncover it you just have to reveal it it's revealing your ultimate human potential Revealing the potential that's there, but it's covered up, so you just have to polish away the surface and allow the inner to emerge into the surface. That's all about revealing, Becoming sensitive to the deeper truths. that's all about revelation. That's not the purpose of creation. Because after all the revealing, whatever you uncover is just a glimmer of the truth of the way the truth exists in potential form. The way the truth exists in potential form it's always more infinite, and it's always much deeper than when you, actual, when you actualize that truth. So it's always downhill. That's not the purpose of creation. The purpose of creation is because God empowered us to create a novelty, to create something new, something that doesn't exist before. Just like the material world is something new, it doesn't exist before, it's the ultimate creation, ex nihilo, it's not that it existed in its source in potential form and then it was actualized no material doesn't there, there is no nose in, in, in heaven material doesn't exist in in the spiritual realm it's the ultimate expression of God's creativity <coughs> which comes from God's essence only God has the ability to create something from nothing and he empowers us also to create a novelty to create something from nothing to take that something and to turn it back into nothing. To take the material and to transform the darkness into light. To take material and to form it. God took energy and transformed it into matter. But He gave us the ability through the Torah and the mitzvah, He empowered us at Mount Sinai to take the material and transform it back into matter and transform it back into energy. When you do a mitzvah and you take the physical object and that physical object becomes a holy object, you've transformed material into spiritual. It's the ultimate creative act. In a way, it's even more impressive than God's creative act. For us to take something material, to transform it back, to take the darkness as human beings, to bring God into our consciousness, and to make our lives godly, and to make every limb of our body godly, and to make every human experience godly, by doing the Torah and the mitzvah as we go about our daily lives, engaging the human body and the human mind and the human heart and the human natural energy and the natural soul, the ego soul, the animal soul, this is the ultimate novelty. To be able to transform through deed, through action, to transform the material into godliness. At this, birth. this is the purpose of creation. This is where God invested his essence. This is what gives God tr- infinite pleasure. And this, is, this reveals, doesn't just reveal a light, the same light that exists in heaven. No. We're revealing God's essence. We're revealing something that doesn't exist in heaven. And God's essence is fully revealed, fully exposed without any screenings. God's essence is revealed as is. This is how powerful our experience in this world is. And if a person realized what's at stake and what the purpose of life is, would a person waste a moment? Every precious moment that we have, every waking moment, every moment that we have in this world, that we have the opportunity make a dwelling place for God in this world, through Torah and mitzvah. we wouldn't waste a moment. Because no matter how great you can, you, you can reach, no matter what levels you can reach personally, subjectively, no matter what the higher levels of consciousness you can reach, or whatever human potential you can reveal and uncover, that's insignificant in comparison to the ability to make a dwelling place for God. But this is something human, finite, subjective, limited. The most intense spirituality is limited. The most angelic experience is limited. While here, when you do a mitzvah, you have the essence of God. Something that's truly infinite, undefined, fully revealed, fully exposed. It's God's essence. There's a beautiful story in the Talmud. Talmud says Rabbi Yochanan Mazakeh was the Jewish leader during the destruction of the Second Temple. Like Moses, he was also lived for 120 years. He was leader of the Jewish people for the last 40 years of his life. And on his, on his deathbed, they stood and saw him crying. And they asked him, why are you crying? He said, because I'm not sure which path they're leading me. In other words, I'm not sure if my soul, which path my soul is going to take. Is it going to the Garden of Eden or is it going to hell? And and the question is someone like Avyokhilam ben Zakkai doesn't know which path his soul is taking. This is the Rebbe of his generation, the Tzaddik, the foundation, the pillar of his generation. His whole life was Torah and mitzvot. He was the pillar who basically single-handedly saved the Jewish people and saved the Torah after the destruction. He doesn't know which path his life is leading. <laughs> <What>? <laughs>
2: right,
1: right, right. Well, where does that leave us? <laughs> that we know for sure. <laughs> he doesn't know that we know for sure. <laughs> and the answer is, one of the explanations is, that he knew Where he was, consciously, he knew where he was, he knew his behavior, he knew where he was. But, on a deeper level, subconsciously, he didn't know. He says, it could be, you can have a person, all his life, you can have a surface, a surface persona, conscious persona, and you think you know who you are, and you think, but who knows what's lurking underneath the surface, who knows what's going on deep down inside. So Maybe deep down inside, I'm somewhere else entirely here I'm so, I'm so Jewish and I'm so committed and I'm so involved but maybe deep down inside my heart is elsewhere my mind is elsewhere <laughs> you know maybe I'm just fooling myself and in heaven I'm going to the world of truth here I can fool myself I can fool everyone but there you're going to face God you know the world of truth there's no there's no it's the truth so who knows where I'm really at I don't know where my soul is at is my soul really into Torah mitzvot into godliness or maybe my soul is elsewhere and he was crying the question is, he waited till 120 years to figure this out. Why wasn't he crying when he was 80? You <laughs> should have cried about the, what the state of his soul is, what? So the Rebbe explains. And when the Rebbe was saying this, I think the Rebbe was crying himself very strongly. He says, Because when the Jew realizes that your soul came into this world in order to make a dwelling place for God, that's your mission state, that's your purpose of your life, that's the purpose of existence. That's why God created all the heavens and all the heaven of heavens and the whole spiritual realm and all of that, the whole purpose of creation was only for the upgrade. What's the upgrade? Heavens is a downgrade. The only upgrade is when you transform the darkness into light when you make a dwelling place for the Hashem in this world. So when you realize that God gave a person exactly the amount of years, months, weeks, days, minutes, seconds, Person, When your time is up, your time is up, because that's the mission that God gave you, the amount of time your soul needs in order to fulfill its mission and purpose, to make a dwelling place for God. So when a a person realizes what's at stake, that you're about to make a dwelling place for God, you're about to reveal God's essence in this world, so who has time to think about myself? What my level is at? What's going on inside? What my personal subjective levels of growth are? where my higher levels of consciousness are, my human potential, have I actualize my human potential fully or not actually, Who has time to think about myself, my human potential, spirituality, religion, meditation? There's something much deeper at stake here. I'm on a mission. I'm charged with a mission. I'm a soldier. I'm charged with a mission. So all his life, he has no time. We have time to think about myself, what's going on with me, where I'm at. I have no time. Every waking moment, I have to fulfill, I have to make a dwelling place for God. But now, at the end of his life, if not now, when? (laughs) If you're not going to make a chesh ben nefesh now, now at the time you're about, Rabbi Yochum Mazak is about to leave the arena of action, the world of action. Now his soul is about, he's about to return to a disembodied state. Now I have to start thinking about my soul. I have to start thinking about where where am I at in my reality reality check. And he started thinking deep down into his soul, into his spirituality, into his subconscious. He started crying. He said, I have no idea where I'm at. I have no idea what's going on inside of me. I have no idea if I'm this way or that way. On the surface, my persona sounds great. But deep down inside, you dig a little deeper, I have no idea what's going on. Maybe it's all rotten inside. I have no idea what's going on inside. So he started crying. But this is the the overriding uh, sense of mission that a Jew feels that he's charged with. A sense that you're making the dwelling place, you're fulfilling God's purpose for creation, and you don't waste a moment. Every opportunity you have to have to do a mitzvah, and that's why the mitzvahs are physical and the mitzvahs are act. If it was all about human potential and spirituality, then the focus wouldn't be in the mitzvah and the deed. Who cares about the mitzvah? The focus would be on the meditation on the sensitivity, on the depth, on the feelings, on the spiritual aspects. Instead, the whole entire focus is on the material, on the actual, on the deed. Because it's not about... It's all about making a dwelling place for godliness in the lowest realm. Taking the material, the course, and transforming, taking the darkness and transforming it into light. And that brings down not just the light... (laughs) A light that doesn't exist in the heavens of heavens. And and without any screaming. fully revealed, fully exposed. This is a mind-boggling, this is a revolutionary concept. This is so counterintuitive. This is a revelation. That's why Mount Sinai is called a revelation. Because it's a revelation. It was a revelation to the heavens. They had no idea there was resistance to Mount Sinai. In the heavens there was resistance to Mount Sinai. They couldn't wrap their, their mind around the concept that the Torah is given in this world. That this world is what it's all about. It's the material, it's the active, it's the physical, it's the lowest of all the low. This is what it's all about. The human being, human consciousness. They couldn't understand it. Which is why they resisted. And it, it took the Jewish people by surprise. That's why they all fell asleep before the giving of the Torah. Because they thought the best way to prepare for the giving of the Torah... Because otherwise it makes no sense, as the Rebbe asks, how could they fall asleep before the giving of the Torah? One of the reasons we count the Omer is because they knew when they left Egypt, God told them, you're going to leave Egypt and I'm gonna, we'd have a rendezvous with God at Sinai. They were counting down. They couldn't wait. They were so eager, they were so excited, they couldn't wait. See, can you imagine the night before they all fell asleep? You're going on a, on a world trip, once-in-a-lifetime trip. You think you're going to be able to sleep the night before? You're so excited. Your your, your adrenaline is pumping away. And here the Jewish people were sleeping calmly, peacefully. Makes no sense. Unless it was a deliberate sleep. They went to sleep. Why did they deliberately go to sleep? Because they thought this is the best preparation for Mount Sinai. Because when you sleep, you can go into a trance, deep levels of meditation. You can achieve levels of con- higher levels of consciousness than when you are in your awake state, in your conscious state, when your mind is actually very limited. It's actually when you're asleep, your mind is freed and you're able to tap into your subconscious. That's why dreams, the dream state, the trance state, is, is, touches a person very deeply and is very revealing if it's a meaningful dream. So that's why they deliberately went to sleep. They wanted to become more spiritual. They thought after such a, such a hefty preparation, after such an intense preparation, now we can go into a trance, we can go into a meditative state, and we'll receive the Torah as pure, sublime, spiritual beings. And that's why, that's why for the last 3,320 years we're making up for that sleep. The Jewish people stay up an entire night on the night of Shavuot. Because what they did went contrary to the whole theme of the Torah. The whole purpose of the Torah is that the purpose of life is not about trance state, dream state, spirituality, nirvana. That's not what it's all about. The heaven came down to earth. God gave us a Torah to human beings, physical mitzvah, engaging the body and the ego. That's what it's all about. It's about being awake, being in a human conscious state and filling your life with God. And that touches a much deeper place than through all the meditation and religiosity and intensity and spirituality in the world all wrapped together. One single mitzvah engaging the material body, human body, all to human consciousness, by transforming that darkness into light and bringing Hashem, allowing Hashem into our hearts, into our minds, and bringing Hashem into this world, touches a much deeper place, touches the very core and essence of God. And in a totally revealed way. While in heaven, all they have is a light, a revelation, a projection, a, re- a glimmer of a ray of God's infinite light, not God's essence. And even that is screened. So the heavens have nothing in us. And that's why there's a famous argument, classical argument in Maimonides and Ahmadides. What is the ultimate reward? Will the ultimate reward be during the resurrection? Or the ultimate reward will be in the world to come, in the spiritual world? Spiritual, spiritual, Imanides of the opinion that resurrection is a temporary state because God wants to reward the body as well. He doesn't want to um, you know, cheat the body out of its reward. So the soul will come into this body, as, but that will be a temporary state, and then we're all going to go to our eternal bliss um, in a disembodied state, and that's the ultimate reward. Nachmanides, who represents the Kabbalist and all the great Kabbalists and the Hasidic masters uh, who rendered the verdict like Nachmanides, said that Nachmanides is correct, not like Maimonides, and says, no, the ultimate reward is not the world to come, the spiritual realm, it's the material realm, resurrection. Even those souls of the patriarchs and the matriarchs that have been parked in heaven for the last 37, 3800 years, and have been going from level to level, three times every single day. And then Shabbat, they, 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 they take a leap forward, and then a holiday, they take a leap forward. And they can't wait to come back into their body. Because it's only in this human world, in this physical world, body and soul, that we, that we can come face to face with the essence of God. Which in the heavens, in the heavens of heavens, they don't know what God looks like. So it's the exact opposite it's this material world that's actually the richest the most powerful the most creative the most explosive the most genuine the most authentic this is where you touch the essence of that to touch the divine so in this material world when you touch the world of touch this is where you touch the divine and you're touched by the divine it brings us so close to God. Closer than through all the spirituality and all the meditation of the world put together. Okay, so we left off, and we're on page 476. So the question that, that he's going to explain now is, is that how is it possible? How, by, how is it possible that we should be able to experience revelation of the infinite light without any veil, without any concealment? If even the higher worlds cannot receive a revelation of godliness without a screening, because otherwise they would dissolve into nothingness, how is it possible that we, material beings living in the lowest of all worlds, that we in this most dense and coarse of all worlds, we have the ability to absorb the very essence of God? Without dissolving into nothingness. Something that the higher realms cannot, cannot accomplish. How is it possible? Okay, for this purpose.
0: For this purpose, the Holy One, blessed be He, gave Israel the Torah, which is called might and strength. For it gives us strength to receive such revelation without being overwhelmed by it. As our rabbis say, that Hashem gives to backing the strength to receive their reward in the world to come. Why is this strength necessary? So that their existence should not dissolve within the divine light that will reveal itself in the hereafter without any garment. As it is written, and your teacher will no longer hide from you, meaning that as some interpret the verse, he will no longer withhold your reins. but following Rashi, He will no longer conceal himself from you with the edge of a robe or garment, and your eyes will behold your teacher. And it is also written, For they shall see eye to eye, meaning that the human eye will see as the divine eye sees. example, we will clearly see the revelation of Hashem's light. And it is further written, The sun shall no longer be your light by day, for Hashem will be your eternal light. The strength to receive this light which will shine forth in the world to come without garment or concealment we derive from our present study of the Torah.
1: That's the purpose why Hashem gave us the Torah because through the Torah we're able to receive this godly light. That's why the Torah is called strength because the Torah gives us the strength to be able to receive this godly, this godly light. No creature, no created being could possibly receive a godly light without dissolving into nothingness. The only reason we're able to receive this godly light is because we have the Torah. The Torah enables us simultaneously to remain human and to remain firmly grounded and planted in this world. And yet at the same time, we should be able to receive God's infinite light, God's essence. That's the power of the Torah. So the Torah actually empowers us. The Torah gives us the strength to accomplish the impossible, to do something that's impossible, the ultimate paradox, the ultimate contradiction. Hmm. How could we become a dwelling place for God? How can we human finite beings become a dwelling place for God and for God's essence? And God should be fully revealed within us without any screens. And at the same time, we remain human beings without completely dissolving our existence. This is only the power of the Torah. The Torah, because the Torah is God's Torah. So the Torah has, has that ability to square the circle. The Torah on one hand we study the Torah with our minds, with our human finite minds. And the Torah makes sense to us. It's logical, it makes sense to us. But ultimately, every word and every letter in the Torah is really a vessel for the infinite, expresses the infinite. So how could the finite mind merge with the infinite mind of God? The finite human mind become one, absolutely one and unified with the infinite mind of God. It's a paradox. That's the power of the Torah. It makes no sense. There's, no, there's, no, there's nothing that even comes close. There's no other reality you can point to in the universe, no other experience like the Torah. When a Jew studies Torah, it gives us the ability to absorb the infinite. And without dissolving our being, using our mind, using our logical mind, using our human mind, and using our human understanding of life, by understanding the Torah, we Are truly absorbing and becoming one with God's mind, with the infinite. So this is the ultimate paradox. That's the power of the Torah. The Torah enables us to square the circle, to do the impossible. And that's why the Jew is such a paradox. On one hand, we're firmly planted in this world. We don't live in isolation we don't seclude ourselves we don't go to some mountaintop we don't tune in and tune out and divorce ourselves from the world around us on the contrary we're firmly planted in this world just like there's a mitzvah to keep Shabbat there's a mitzvah to work six days a week and yet at the same time we're not from this world it's not what it's about it's all about our connection our relationship with God On one hand, you're so godly and on the other hand, you're so down to earth and you're so practical and so so with it. It's the ultimate paradox. It's squaring the circle. It makes no sense. Usually people who are religious are not part of this world. They're living in a different dimension. They tune in and tune out. You become a monk, you become a nun, you become a Buddhist, you you live in a mountaintop. You're living in a different dimension. Or you're part of this world. Or you compartmentalize your life. Today I'm this, and tomorrow and tomorrow I go up the mountain, today I come down the mountain. But the Jew is the ultimate paradox. On one hand, totally natural, totally with it, totally human, totally logical, rational, down-to-earth, and at the same time, totally divine. Your whole life is about godliness. Every breath, every moment you're going about your business. What's it about? Godliness. But you're doing your business, and you're doing your business honestly and faithfully, and you're doing your business very well. As that famous story with the chassid of Alta Rebbe, the author of this Tanya, one of his biggest chassidim, was a, uh, a billionaire, he was very wealthy. At the end of every day, he would make an accounting of all the business he did that day, and he would write all the numbers, and at the end, he wrote, Sacha Kurl, the conclusion was, He wrote three Hebrew words. There's no other reality but God. So his colleagues didn't get it. He said, we don't don't understand. If you have a a page full of numbers, then there has to be a number at the bottom of the page also. On the other hand, if you're writing, there's nothing else but God, so why don't you write God, 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 equals, there's nothing else but God. How can you have numbers? And he said, that's the whole point. Numbers are numbers. Business is business. It's not a chassidim of a malka. Business is business numbers are numbers and you have to do business honestly you have to do business well but what is the bottom line while i'm doing business what's it all about it's not about the business not about the numbers it's about there's no other reality but god So that's the ultimate paradise you're going about your daily life you're taking a cup of water you're drinking it's a natural urge you're thirsty you're drinking you make a blessing think about hasha whatever you do your home you put a mezuzah so your home and everything that goes on in your house becomes connected by the mezuzah, becomes connected to Hashem. You have Jewish books, you have your home, your entertainment, everything you do in your house becomes part of it connected. Everything you do, every area in your life. You give tzedakah. So all your business meetings and all your travels and everything that went into the to help you earn that dollar, honestly earn that dollar, becomes connected with Gali. So it's like the ultimate paradox. The Torah gives us the strength to be able to absorb and to reveal God's essence without being dissolved into nothing. So we remain firmly planted in this world and yet we're not from this world. We are from this world and we're not from this world. And we're not from the higher worlds either because only the essence of God could create paradox only God could combine such opposites and that's why we have, you find that the Jew has such intense faith and at the same time to be at the cutting edge of intellect, usually the two don't go hand in hand together, people who are at the cutting edge of intellect are not people of the most intense faith intellect tends to diminish your faith somewhat people who are, are very intense faith not necessarily known to be the brightest uh, <laughs> bulbs or the brightest pencils in the room that the Jew is that ultimate paradox with the genius of Maimonides and the genius of the Rebbe and the genius of Moses. And And yet they had a faith, the simple, most intense, powerful faith. It's the ultimate paradox. The two don't go hand in hand together. But by a Jew, they work in perfect harmony. Not only isn't there a contradiction, the faith enhances the intellect, sharpens the intellect, the intellect sharpens the faith. One feeds on the other in ways that are completely mysterious to us. That's why the world has been studying the Jew for 3,800 years and they still can't figure us out because we make no sense. We don't fit into a pattern. We don't live in isolation, we're engaged, fully engaged, and at the same time, we're a nation apart. We're a holy people. We're ultra-conservative and ultra-liberal at the same time. The kindest, most compassionate people on the face of the earth, and yet the most demanding of ourselves and of others. We believe in standards, and we believe in the highest common denominator to unite people, Not, not dumbing down to the lowest common denominator, but we demand a lot of ourselves, and we demand a lot of others. Again, it's the ultimate paradox. People are usually ultra-conservative and not ultra-liberal. People are ultra-liberal simultaneously. But this is the power of the Torah. The Torah gives the Jew the ultimate power. Ultimate paradox. How could the same Torah teach a Jew to be kind and compassionate? And yet the same Torah will teach a Jew there's no room for pacifism. If someone comes and acts aggressively, there's no room for pacifism. You are obligated to take a gun and to shoot him and to stop him. There's no room for passiveness. How could the same Torah... Usually people are very kind and generous and loving and sweet, are always kind, generous, loving, and sweet. And when it comes to a situation where what's called for is the exact opposite, they're paralyzed. They, 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 this is the only response they know, even when it's completely inappropriate. And yet the same Torah demands of a Jew, in this situation... This is how you have to act. And, and in a different situation, you have to act the exact opposite way. And yet it's all consistent. It's paradoxical. Because the Torah is not human. The Torah is divine. The Torah is God's Torah. And God is, God is ultimate, ultimate, contains the ultimate paradox. So God is undefined. Not only is God unlimited, God is undefined. And therefore God can square the circle. The ultimate paradox. And therefore God gave us the Torah. He gave us the strength to live that type of life. He gave us the strength to live that type of life, a life filled with paradox. To be totally natural and down to earth, living in this human, very all-too-human world, and at the same time that this world should be a dwelling place for God, that we have the ability to make this world a dwelling place for God, where God's essence is fully revealed and fully exposed. So we go about our lives naturally, and at the same time it's all about something else. It's all about godliness a sense of mission, a sense of purpose, a sense of the divine, a sense of connection, 24-7. It's not religion, it's not compartmentalized, it's not mysticism. It's something much, much more, much deeper, core, central. This is what a Jew's life is all about. This is the Torah. Which is why the Torah was given on the 3rd the third month, as the Talmud says, and it was, the Torah itself is divided into three, the Torah prophets in writing. It was given by Moshe, who was the third, the third child, Miriam, Aaron, Moshe. He was also from the tribe of Levi. He was also the third tribe, Reuven, Shimon, Levi. It was given to the Jewish peoples, divided into three, Kohanim, Levi, and Yisraelim. What's the significance of the number three? Because it says the whole purpose of the Torah was to make peace. And the concept of peace is, peace represents a number three. Because when you have one, all you have is one reality. There's no politics. Robinson Crusoe doesn't need to make peace with anyone. There's no politics. There's only one choice. <laughs> only one vote. <laughs> and you have two people, now you have two opinions. Two Jews, three opinions. Now you have politics. Two entities. See things differently. Not on the same page. And then you reconcile the two. Peace is the relationship between the two. Instead of being opposites, they relate to each other, and they connect to each other, and they create a new dynamic, a new entity. So too, without the Torah, the world offers a person two choices. Either you embrace materialism or you transcend materialism, you escape materialism. So basically the world only offers a person two choices, either heaven or earth, either ego or soul, east or west, right or left, one or the other. The whole world is split down the middle, this way or that way, the right arm or the left arm. comes along the Torah and offers, offers us a third choice because it reveals to us that the two are not mutually exclusive that we can reconcile it we can relate it to we can merge heaven and earth we can bring heaven down to earth we can reconcile the paradox and reveal the ultimate unity the absolute unity of God that can reconcile opposites body and soul material and spiritual and bring peace and harmony into this world and that's really what that's really what that's why it says this world is compared to a marriage because this is the whole theme of life that's why the very first thing the Torah tells us we're about to celebrate Rosh Hashanah Rosh Hashanah the Torah describes the creation of the first man and woman and what's the first thing the Torah tells us they got married That seems to be the whole theme of creation, marriage. Because that is what life in this world is all about. It's about marrying heaven and earth. Reconciling what appears to be two opposites. And revealing the underlying unity. And revealing the ultimate paradox. It's really ultimately two aspects of the same reality. And that's the, this, is, this is what the Torah is about. The Torah empowers us, gives us the strength to be able to accomplish, to achieve, to reveal the essence of God, fully revealed, fully exposed, undiminished, and yet without dissolving our, our, without dissolving our existence. We maintain our existence, retain our existence, and at the same time we fully absorb God's essence this is the power of the Torah, this is the gift of the Torah. Without the Torah, it would be impossible for us to achieve this. That's why it says if the Jews would not receive the Torah, God would have reverted the whole world back to nothingness. Because this is the whole purpose of creation. The whole purpose of creation is in order to achieve a dwelling place for God. The only way to achieve that is through the Torah. So if the Jews would not receive the Torah, then the world would revert back to nothingness. There's no purpose for this world, there's no reason, there's no rhyme, there's no reason... The only reason God desired this world is only, is only in order for His essence to be revealed in this world through our efforts, through our Torah and through our mitzvah. And it's only through the Torah. The Torah empowers us and enables us to accomplish this goal, to accomplish this mission. So the question now is, if this is the whole purpose of creation, then it doesn't make sense. Because right now, not only isn't this world, hasn't this darkness of this world been transformed yet into light, not only aren't we aware of godliness, this world seems to be very uh, uh, coarse and, and still the antithesis of godliness. So how is it possible to say that that's the whole purpose of creation when this purpose was never realized? And if you're going to say that Mashiach, that's, that's when God's purpose, his vision for this world, will be realized. No, but Isn't Mashiach the reward? The reward is something that comes after. The reward is a reward. The way we classically understand the concept of a reward, you do what you have to do, you fulfill your mission. Now, once you fulfill your mission, now you're going to get a reward. But if the whole mission and the whole purpose of creation is God wanted us to transform the darkness into light, before Mashiach comes, we haven't achieved it. We haven't accomplished it. With all the Torah and all the mitzvah that we've been doing for thousands of years and all this refinement, this world still remains very dense and very coarse. You walk down the streets, doesn't shout out godliness, not yet. As of now, as of this moment, obviously Mashiach hasn't come yet so this is the purpose this purpose has never been realized the whole purpose is God wanted a home as of now where is the home it hasn't been revealed yes when Mashiach will come then Godliness will be revealed then this world will be a home for God but that's a reward that's not the purpose. That's a reward that comes after you fulfill your mission. So, the Rebbe is now going to explain no, it's not so. It's a mistake. The main reward is not Mashiach and not even resurrection. That's not in the class of reward. You know when the main reward will be? That's the seventh millennium. That's a reward. There are three levels there's a level of Mashiach, then there's a level of resurrection. And then there's a level of the 7th millennium. We are now in the year, we're about to enter in the year 5769. So we only have 231 years left before merit, the coming of Mashiach. And before we merit the resurrection. And then will come the year year 7,000, the millennium. So the al Rebbe is saying that the main reward is actually the seventh millennium. Mashiach and the resurrection is not part of the reward. That is when the mission will be fulfilled. That is actually the whole purpose of creation, the climax of creation. That is the climactic event. When will the goal and the mission, everything that we've been doing for the last few thousand years, when will all of that be realized, all that massive effort? When will all of that bear fruit and and come into fruition? That is in in the times of Mashiach. So the times of Mashiach is not so much a reward. The times of Mashiach is actually when the main service of God, that's when we'll have the ability to serve God properly. As we say in the davening, then we'll be able to do your will as you truly wanted it, as you truly willed it. Right now, we're inadequate, the world is inadequate. Mashiach will come, the world will be perfect, the world will be at peace. There will, there will no longer be any antisemitism. The world will be at peace. The world will be whole. The world will be wholesome. Then we'll have the opportunity for the first time in Jewish history to fulfill all six hundred and thirteen mitzvot and to fulfill it perfectly and wholeheartedly. And that's the That's the whole purpose of creation. On the contrary, that's when we'll have the Torah in its entirety, in its completion. That's when God's vision for this world, is spelled out in the Torah, will be realized and will be fulfilled. So it's not just the reward. That is the main goal. We've been working for thousands of years to get to that point where finally we can fulfill God's purpose for creation, to make a dwelling place for God. God can say, I feel at home, and God is fully revealed in this world. And consciously, the human consciousness will sense godliness, and you walk down the streets and you'll sense godliness. That's the whole purpose of creation. Everything we've been doing till now is just a preparation to get us to that moment, to get us to that point. And then even on a higher level, the resurrection, because during the resurrection, Mashiach will be a natural state. The world will remain natural, but the world will be whole, and wholesome. But afterwards, during the era of resurrection, then miracles will start to happen. The resurrection is the greatest miracle. Those who are dead for thousands of years will be resurrected. There's an argument in the Talmud, actually. There's a whole discussion whether once the resurrection, if we still have mitzvot or not. There's an opinion that holds that mitzvot will be nullified once the resurrection happens. Everyone holds that Mashiach will come then we'll, we're still obligated to do the mitzvot. On the contrary, when the shiach will come, it will be the first time in Jewish history, as my man he says, we'll have the opportunity to do all six hundred and thirty mitzvot, exactly as God intended. But during the era of resurrection, there's an opinion that all the mitzvot will be nullified once the era of resurrection. Uh, but here the Alter Rebbe is following the opinion that even during the resurrection, we'll still be obligated to do the mitzvot, because that will be the time to do the mitzvot. That's when the world will be perfect, will be perfect, when God's plan and vision and and His pleasure and His desire, everything that He desired, will come to fruition, will be fulfilled. When the world will be exactly the way God wanted A place where God says, I feel at home here. And His essence is revealed without any screening. Fully revealed, fully exposed. When is the reward? The reward will be in the seventh millennium. When the world as we know it will be completely different. We won't even recognize it. It will be a different world, a different reality. And that's what Alta Rebbe is saying now.
2: Alta Rebbe stated earlier that the purpose of the entire Heshtashalut is the revelation of Ein Sof light in this world, which occurs when the darkness of the klippo of this world is transformed into the light of holiness. But one may ask, this revelation will take place only in the hereafter. At present, the Sof light is completely hidden. Alta Rebbe replies that indeed the messianic era constitutes the purpose for which this world was created. So it's
1: not that the messianic era is a reward. No. The messianic era, that's the purpose. That's, that's what it's all about. That's, that's when life becomes real. Right now, it's just a preparation. More like sleepwalking through life. Mashiach will come then we'll come alive. Then the world will be as is. Then we'll be fully realized and then the world will be as, as it's meant to be. Then godliness will be palpable and tangible in this world. And he said earlier, That's when the verse, all the verses that he quoted, that God will no longer be hidden. You'll see eye to eye, you'll see God eye to eye. God will be a light. That's when all of these promises will become fulfilled, when the darkness will be transformed into light, when this material world, dense, coarse, materialistic world, will be transformed into a dwelling place for God. Through us, through our service, through our Torah and Mitzvah. Continue.
2: It is known that the Messianic era, especially the period after the resurrection of the dead, is indeed the ultimate purpose and the fulfillment of the creation of this world. It is for this purpose that this world was originally created. At my first glance, this statement appears strange. One would have thought that the messianic era represents not the purpose of creation, but the reward for man's efforts towards
1: fulfilling that purpose. Right. Now we're fulfilling the purpose. And when we, fill the purpose, we finish the purpose, then God will reward us. It's like a side thing. So, but he says no, because that wouldn't make any sense. You can't say that. How can you say that now we're fulfilling the purpose? This is the purpose? The world is so dark. That's not what God wanted. The world should remain dark. Yes, He desired this dense, coarse, materialistic world as the antithesis of godliness, but not that it should remain so. He wanted thus, the novelty for us to, to transform the darkness into light, to break through the darkness and to penetrate the darkness and break through the darkness and create a, a new world, a world which the darkness itself is transformed into light. So Dr. Rebbe, therefore, clarifies.
2: The time of receiving the reward is essentially in the 7th millennium, as is stated in the Chutei Torah of the Arizal, Rabbi Isaac, Gloria, Blessed Memory, whereas period until then constitutes the fulfillment of the world's purpose.
1: The main reward is the 7th millennium, and Hashem's purpose will be revealed uh, during the times of Mashiach, and that explains also the urgency why we want Mashiach now, why Mashiach is, so, is such an urgent need for us, because it's not like, what do I care? I'm studying Torah, I'm doing mitzvot, I'm doing what I have to do, so if he doesn't bring Mashiach, so what? I'm happy, I'm doing what I have to do. No. Everything that you're doing, the purpose of what you're doing is in order to make a dwelling place for God. And until Mashiach comes, that purpose has not been fulfilled. So it's not just the detail is lacking, icing on the cake. It would be nice if Mashiach comes, but it's not, I'm doing the right thing, I'm serving God. That's it somewhere. I don't have to worry about the bigger picture. No. Everything that you're doing is lacking. Your Torah is lacking, your mitzvah is lacking, the whole theme, the whole purpose of your entire life, the whole theme and the whole purpose of all of creation. Everything that happens in this world is happening for one reason. To prepare us for the coming of Mashiach. To get us and to get the world closer for the coming of Mashiach. Every last thing that happens in our lives, Every aspect, every detail from, from the good or what we think is not so good, everything that's happening in our life is all roads are leading to Jerusalem. It's here for one purpose. It's to prepare us and to prepare the world for the coming of Mashiach. Because that's the purpose of creation. There is no other purpose. So if Mashiach doesn't come, it's not like a detail is missing. Everything that I'm doing is lacking. And therefore there's an urgency that comes from that you feel from within that I need mashiach. It's not, it's not I'm told to pray for the coming of Mashiach so since I'm an obedient uh, person so I do whatever is demanded of me I do, no, there's an inner sense of urgency you feel a need I'm doing all this Torah, I'm studying all this Torah I'm doing all these mitzvot, I'm doing all these acts of goodness and kindness and everything that I'm doing is in order to make a dwelling place for God to make God feel at home in this world and some of us have one home some of us have two homes, some of us have three homes and God is homeless, as of today he's homeless, the temple is destroyed he doesn't feel at home in this world this world is still a, a, a world filled with lies and deceit, if we had any doubt. Just last week, in 1945, the world experienced the collapse of fascism. In 1987, and eighty-nine, when the Berlin Wall came down, the world experienced the collapse of communism. And last week, in September of 2008, the world experienced the collapse of capitalism. And the whole house of cards just came crumbling and collapsing when there was a moral crisis, when people just lost trust and everyone out of greed, everyone was just out to, in a dishonest way, and therefore society is just crumbling. Its very foundations are crumbling. So for us, there's a, an urgent need to bring this exile, to bring the curtain down in the exile and um, to usher in Times of Mashiach, when the world will become genuine. And maybe it's part of the process. Maybe this is also part of the process because it says the truth will grow from the ground. Why does truth have to grow from the ground? Because first you have to bury the lie. And that becomes the fertilizer for the truth. So when all the false isms come crashing down, there's one ism that remains standing, and that's Judaism. This is one ism that doesn't lie, that hasn't disappointed it's as genuine like mother's milk it hasn't changed one iota millions of Jewish women are going to light the same Friday night Shabbat candles that Sarah our mother lit and Rebecca lit and Jewish women have lit throughout thousands of years all our mothers and millions of Jewish men are going to put on tefillin tomorrow morning just like the same tefillin that Moses put on absolutely no difference and we're going to blow the same shofar that we've been blowing for the last 3320 years because this is genuine this doesn't change. This doesn't need embellishment. This is real. And when all the false isms come collapsing down, this is one ism that remains just as relevant and just as fresh and just as appealing. And if anything, even more appealing. Because now it's been vindicated. Now we see that this is the foundation of reality. When a society is based on a, an awareness of God, and God we trust, and there's moral integrity and then you have the glue that keeps society together this is what happens when you remove God out of the picture you have a total meltdown a total disintegration the very foundations are completely disintegrated overnight because there's no foundation God is the foundation of foundation God is the pillar of pillars as Maimonides says God is not religion and God is not state God is period there's nothing without God period And since America has kicked God out of the classroom, and God has become a dirty word in the the public fear, we see the results. It has cost us trillions of dollars, and everyone is clueless how to rebuild it. And the answer, because the answer is not financial. You can throw trillions of dollars at this problem, it's not going to solve your problem. It's ultimately, fundamentally, it's a moral problem. When you kick God out of the classroom, you have 60 million children who get an education and know nothing about God. They learn, all they learn about is how to have a good career. That's not education. We learned from World War II. The Nazis were brilliant, and they knew how to make, technically they knew how to make a very efficient gas. That's not what makes a person educated. What makes a person educated is if they have a connection, a foundation an inner foundation, a center. They have a connection to God, something greater than themselves. They worship something greater than their own mind. When there's a foundation, when there's a higher power, there's a God, then you have a foundation what you can build your life on. Then you can deal with the challenges in your life. And you have a moral compass to keep you honest, not because you can't get away with it. You have a choice. You could get away with it. But something inside of you tells you that I have to answer to God, and therefore I have to be honest. I have to be able to sleep at night. And that's the foundation of a society. Otherwise, you don't have a society. You know, the Talmud says if a person, if you do a business transaction, but you don't physically acquire the object, you don't make a kinian even if there's been an exchange of money, both the buyer and the seller could back out of the deal. But even though technically, legally, we can't force you to go through with the deal, but we put a moral sanction on you. The court says, okay, you can back off from the deal, even though you've negotiated, you've even exchanged money in good faith. And, but technically, the, uh, acquir- the, the acquirer hasn't acquired, um, he hasn't made a kenyan, hasn't done something physically to acquire the object or the land. Okay, you can, you can go back, uh, the object, but nevertheless, we give you a moral sanction. He who has punished the generation of the flood, he referring to Hashem, well, should punish you. In other words, the the Talmud, Talmudic rabbis understood, people think that the generation of the flood were a bunch of axe murderers, rapists. Talmud says, no. There was no trust. There was no integrity. And when society, when there's no trust, and no, there's no integrity in society, When a word is not a word and a handshake means nothing, then society falls apart. Then you end up with a flood. It self-destructs. There's no foundation. They did not keep the seven Noahide laws. That's why Noah was the only survivor because he had a foundation in life. He had a connection to a higher authority. He had personal moral integrity. And that's, that's the foundation of society. Otherwise, you have a jungle. And when people stop trusting, People stop believing, and the whole—we've seen the results. The words you hear—it's frightening. We haven't seen anything like this in a hundred years. We've never seen anything like this. We have no idea how to deal with this. And these are words we haven't heard in our lifetime. But you're seeing the results. This doesn't happen out of thin air, and it's not just a financial crisis. It's something much deeper. That's just a symptom. It's much deeper. It's much. It's it's rooted in something much, much deeper than that. It's a crisis. It's a complete breakdown of society. And you have to build society from the foundation up. So, in a certain sense, now that we've buried the lie, the greed, the excesses, maybe now we can appreciate, and now we can get busy preparing ourselves to make this world a dwelling place for God when human consciousness is aware of God, when human beings acknowledge God. It's not enough that God is in heaven or God is in the spiritual realm, but God has to become part of this world. We have to let God into our minds and into our hearts. He has to become part of the public square. He has to become part of the public conversation. The intent of the Founding Fathers was not to uh, separate, not to exclude religion or to kick God out of the, out of the public square, on the contrary. It was a way... If you read the original notes of Benjamin Franklin and their founding fathers, it's clear they wanted God part of it, but they didn't want a state religion, a state-sanctioned religion. So they, all they meant by separating church and state is to guarantee freedom for religion. But everyone should be free to worship, to worship God as they understand it, and following their own religion. But not God forbid that this country should become a godless, aggressively atheistic, godless, and coarse and materialistic country was never the intent. That's a clear distortion of the original intent of our Founding Fathers. And this is a, a, a novelty. And we're seeing the results, the tragic results of it. The total breakdown, total disintegration. Because without trust, there's nothing. So hopefully this is the burying the lie that will fertilize and allow the truth to grow. And the one ism is standing tall the one ism, there's no free person, the Statue of Liberty, the Mother of Liberty, the one freedom that's beckoning to liberty, there's only one road to liberty. You want to lead a free life, a good life, a wholesome life, a genuine life, it has to be founded on the pillar of all pillars and the foundation of all foundations to acknowledge there's a God, there's a creator, there's a reality to this world. And each and every one of us should build on that and try to build our own, own integrity. And then we'll usher in a world of Mashiach. We'll hear the shofar, the shofar of Mashiach. And the next class will be given by the Alter Rebbe himself.